Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. Man, I'm glad that you guys are here tonight, man. It's just like... I was thinking about it here because I'm sitting here and we're playing games and then, you know, the lights come on and it's like, I I always have this thing at the beginning of a gathering where like, it's so easy to just forget why we're here for a minute, you know? Like it's easy to get caught up with our friends and and the games and and the energy and it's like, dude, we're here because of what we just sang about, you know? Like for those of you who don't, who are newer to life or to citizens, and I met a few of you, this is your first time. First of all, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, after the gathering, stop by the lounge, man. We'll hook you up with the, with the, what do we have there? Candy? We have soda. How many people say soda? Anybody say pop? Dude, all the pop people are weird, man. But anyway, a soda pop, best of both worlds. Hannah Montana style. If you're new, stop by the lounge afterwards. We'll hook you up with some soda pop and candy or whatever. But, but here's what I want you to understand, all right? Here's what I want you to understand. If this is your first time, right? Like, we're playing the game, the lights come on. But at the end of the day, friends, the reason why we're here, the reason why a bunch of students from Evergreen High School and Camus High School and, and, and Vancouver District and Washougal were here because of what we just sang about. Do you understand that? We're not here because this is the YMCA and this is an extra school activity and oh my gosh, Sam always says some really dumb things. Like, come on Wednesday night to hear it. We're here because ultimately we believe that God has saved us by his grace. We believe that we're born apart from God and due to his mercy and his grace and the fact that he loves us, the fact that he moved into the neighborhood in flesh in the person of Jesus, he saved us. And so we come together on Wednesday nights as a community of students because we're learning to live for Jesus. Is that right? Is that why you're here? I hope so, right? We're a community of students learning to live for Jesus. And so what we're gonna do, again, for those of you who are like, dude, what is this all about? What are we doing here? One of the primary ways that we learn to live for Jesus we grab our Bibles, right? And we listen to the Bible explained and preached and, and how we can apply it. And so go ahead and open up your Bibles. Um, we've been in a series over the last few weeks called Our House. Say Our House. Yeah, like you believe it, right? You're like, Our House. No, Our House. And so the idea of this series is pretty simple. Dude, Philippians, always falling out of the Bible, man. Oh, super glue. The idea of the series, Our House, is this. We want to spend some time understanding what are the marks of this community. What are the three marks of our house that are so core to who we are, so essential to what we do here, that if you were to remove any of these marks, it wouldn't be our house anymore. And so over the last couple of weeks, we saw the first mark. Who knows what the first mark was? We are a kingdom declaring community. Meaning that we're not interested in people just coming here so we can have a good time. Ultimately, the reason why we open up the doors, ultimately, the reason why we invite people into this room is because we have some news to proclaim to them. We are declaring the fact that the kingdom of God is here. And so we're a community that is marked by calling people into the community, calling people into the kingdom And if we ever stop doing that, students, this ain't our house no more. Second mark was last week. Does anybody remember? We are a heart-transforming community. 
meaning that as people come into this house, one of the marks about us is that Jesus starts to work on our hearts and starts to change us from the inside out. Oh, so Sam, we come here to become good boys and girls, huh? No, no, no. We talked about we're not here just to have good manners. We're not here to teach the sixth graders how to comb their hair. We're not here to teach the junior highs how to apply deodorant. We're not here to teach the high schoolers how to have some, some good business skills and job interview skills. No, no, no. We're not about self-improvement. We're about heart transformation, something way deeper than on the outside. And so we understand that students all over this county in middle school and in high school, they're hungry for something that goes beyond just Surface improvement. You guys understand, right? Like, the name of the game, when it comes to people like you, right? People like you. Like, what do you mean? Young people, right? Like, the name of the game in society, the narrative about you guys in our society is this. We just need to straighten them up. We just, we just need them to straighten up and have some good skills, and we, gotta, we just got to educate them. And what we talk about here in our house, our goal is not simply to educate and reform and give you good manners. We're here because we believe, for those of you who are tired of trying to be changed from the outside, for those of you who, are, are, who have experienced how weak and futile it is to try to make surface level changes, that Jesus Christ is changing people from the inside out. And that's good news. And then the third mark we're gonna talk about today. But before I do, I wanna tell you um, a little bit of history. Anybody a history buff? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> You're like, no, thermometer down. Well, I mean, there's some people, right? Weird, I guess. Like, there's some people like math, right? How many people are math people? And then you have the people that are like, no, no, I'm more of an English person. We're the English people. You never find people saying, dude, I'm the history guy. You know what I'm saying? It's like their right brain is for artistic, English, creative people. I got that backwards, didn't I? Right brain is for like the mathematical, scientific people. And then the left brain is for like the flowy, English, creative Thus thou and thine, people, you know? But like, what part of the brain is history in, you know? You never find that. I'm a history person. I'm right in the middle. <laughs> I don't know. But let me tell you a little bit about history, okay? There's, there's history. There's history. And then there's church history. So, there's American history. There's England history. There's <laughs> European history. There's African history. I mean, you can trace history pretty much of anything. But I want to tell you a little piece of church history, meaning the history of God's people since the first century. In church history, there has always been a movement. There's always been a strand. There's always been a certain type of person in church history that has emerged all throughout the centuries and no matter what, what nation, no matter what time period, there's always been a movement in church history. And the movement is this, a movement to live in solitude. You guys know that? It goes all the way back to the third and fourth centuries, all right? And you're not gonna believe me, so I got live action photographs from the third century, like real photos, right? And so there's a movement in the third and fourth century called the Desert Fathers, okay? Here's what the Desert Fathers decided, okay? They woke up one morning and they go, you know, I think I'd rather live alone. Where can I go and live alone? The forest? No, not the forest. The backyard? No, not the backyard. I have a better idea. I'm going to move to the desert. They literally moved to the desert. What was in the desert, Sam? Nothing. No, but I mean, like, where did they, like, where did they get? Nothing. But, like, you know, did they live with? Nothing. 
they literally moved to the desert. And so, dude, it got so crazy because they would wander off into the desert and everybody's like, wait, St. Anthony, where are you going? Nowhere. How can I find you? You can't. But you have so much wisdom. I know. (laughs) And he wanders off into the desert. Dude, this movement got so crazy. I know you're not going to believe me, dude. I got photos of this. I got live photograph footage, right? In the desert. Yeah, yeah, we'll show them, right? To give you an example. This is like a modern day version, but like that's where they lived, right? What do you call that place? Nowhere, right? Right in the middle, right? So dude, this movement got so crazy. Like it wasn't even enough to get into the desert because what would happen is all these people that moved in the desert, they almost got like rock star status. So it almost like worked against them. They were like, oh, they're so cool. Let's follow them, you know? And like every introvert in the room is like, leave me alone. Stop following me. And so they took it to the next level. They said, we're not just going to move into the desert. We're going to live on top of a pillar. They're called the pillar saints. Guess where the pillar was? Nowhere. They literally, they would build, this is a modern day version, right? That's a modern day version. But they would literally, they would build a pillar. So you can look up St. Anthony and these different guys, right? Uh, uh, In the same time of Athanasius, right? And so these guys, these dudes would straight up build a pillar and they stand up there and they're like, ha, try to get to me now. And everybody on the ground is like, ha, try to use the bathroom, you know? Like, joke's on you, man, you know? What is that about? Fast forward all the way to the 12th century, right? Let's change scenery. Let's go from, from the Egypt area. Let's go over to Europe, right? And in Europe, they, they had this new idea. Same, same idea, but a different form. They wanted to live alone. They wanted to be in solitude. And so they came up with an institution called a monastery, right? And so any man who wanted to go and live in the monastery was called a monk, And any woman who wanted to live in the monastery was called a a nun. Or I guess it was an abbey, right? Sound of music, anyone? Sound of music, right? She was a nun. Thermometer down. Stop it. Best musical ever. I don't care what they say about La La Land or whatever it is. Fa La La, right? And so people in these monasteries, people in these monasteries, they would literally go away and they would say, I'm going to go. I want to get away from the world. And so they'd go and they wouldn't get married. They'd give up marriage. They'd give up living in their communities with their families. And they would go and they would live in a monastery and their entire day would revolve around working and praying. Because that's all we need. Because that's all God created us to be anyway. And so on this side of history, all right, and and so I don't mean to, I don't want to paint a bad picture of monastery life and of those kind of things because there was a lot of good that came out of it. We learn that it was monks, it it was the monks and, and the nuns who they became skilled and they actually learned a lot of useful things because they had nothing else to do. So they said, I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know, let's farm. Sure, why not? So they like farmed and they learned all these techniques and and they had a lot of time on their hands, go figure. So they would write things down and write things down and write things down and write them again. And they created libraries of copies of literature because there was no copy machine. And so they're actually responsible, if you look throughout church history, they're actually responsible for passing on a lot of the legacy, a lot of history and tradition and things like that. So there was some good. But I also think that from this side of history, we can see that there was a major downside. There was a major flaw, you could say, in this movement of these people that wanted to move away, right? And you got to understand, they didn't want to get away because they hated people. They wanted to get away, whether it was a desert saint, a pillar saint, or a monk saint. They all had this in common. 
They wanted to get away from the corrupting influence of society. They wanted to get away from the corrupting influence of friends and neighbors and family members that didn't want to live for Jesus. And they said, wait a minute, nobody in this room wants to live for Jesus. I do. Deuces. I'm out, right? I'm going to go up on my pillar. And so there was, there was a, 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 a virtuous motivation here, right? They wanted something good. But here's what we know, all right? Here's what we notice from this side of history. The major flaw in their movement is this. Jesus didn't want us to hide from the world. He wanted us to impact it. Jesus doesn't want you as his followers to hide away from the world and to avoid the corrupting influence. Ultimately, he wants his followers to be in the world, though not of it. He wants you to be in the world and impact it, not hide from it. And I feel like this this. This idea, Jesus' intention, his desire for you as his followers has never been more clear than in the passage we're about to get down with today. Jesus doesn't want you to hide from the world. He wants you to impact it. And we see that in our text today here in Matthew chapter five. Look at this. Let me read the passage to you. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 13. Look what he says. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. God's gonna speak to us through this tonight, okay? So let's go, let's go back up and look through the first part here, okay? Look what Jesus says, all right? He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of, did Jesus just call me salty? <laughs> Did Jesus say I'm salty? Maybe you are, but that's not what he says, right? He says, you're the salt of the earth. And so the first thing we realize in our text here is that we impact our world as salt. We impact our world as salt. Now, before you think Jesus is trying to offend you, you got to understand something about this metaphor, okay? If you're going to get this word picture, if you're going to get this metaphor, you need to understand something about salt, and it's this. Salt has a pretty powerful effect, okay? Salt has a pretty powerful effect on the things that it comes in contact with. How many of you guys use salt? Okay, okay, very good. How many people don't use salt? If you're like, on principle, I am diametrically opposed to salt. I'm sorry, bud, this is gonna be a very sensitive message, trigger warning, okay? Um, so, So here's the thing, we use salt, right? But people in Bible times, they actually use salt a little bit differently than we did. Okay, so I don't know if you ever thought about this, but if you had, I don't know, let's say a goat, right? And your dad comes home and he's like, hey, family, I kill goat. We make goat for dinner, breakfast, lunch next day, right? That's how they sounded in ancient Israel. It's trust me, right? I don't really know where the accents come from. There's just, I'm possessed, right? (laughs) By the voices. And so listen, right? So he comes home, I, I bring goat, right? I cut up goat. I skin goat, not necessarily in that order, but he does the goat thing, right? And then, and then you're sitting there and you're like, oh, nice, we got goat for dinner and for the next day and for like about a month, right? Where are we gonna keep the meat? Oh, you keep it in the fridge? No. 
There's no refrigerator. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a germaphobe. Like, I'm notorious, dude. My wife gets mad at me because she'll leave the meat out on the counter for like 30 minutes. I'm like, uh uh-uh, it's bad. Shoop, drops it in the garbage, right? She's like, that was good meat. That was dinner. I'm like, it was too late. It was gone. But the recipe says room temperature. I'm like, nah, uh uh-uh, for refrigerator temperature is just as good, right? I just, I'm, I, I skeeve that stuff, man. If it's supposed to be in the fridge, leave it in the fridge, right? Oh, man, I just can't even handle it, dude. I go home, like sidebar, all right? Hard sidebar. I go home, <laughs> Lord forgive them. I go home to my in-laws, right? I hope they're not listening. But dude, here's my in-laws. I got this bad habit because they, they're a big family, you know what I mean? So it's like, if it was just like me and one other person, it's like, hey, we'll sit down and eat. Ha ha, now we'll clean up, right? No, no, like when you eat, when you eat in a big family, it's like, a, it's like, it's like Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and everybody's just like going for the food. It's, just, it's literally what it is. And like people are like dying and there's meat tearing out of the lip, uh, your mouth and your teeth. And so here's what happens. They all cook the food. They go into the carnage on the table and then nobody remembers to put the food away, right? And I remember I woke up once and the next morning, I woke up super early to go to the bathroom or whatever. It was like 6 a.m. And I walk by the kitchen. I go, oh, darn it. They left the food out, right? Automatically, I'm thinking... They're just going to throw it out in the morning. So I go to bed. I wake up. Ate something in the morning. I come downstairs and go, huh, the food's not on the counter. They must have thrown it out. And then I go, but wait. No. No. They wouldn't. <laughs> no! It was in the fridge. It was in the fridge. They ate it for lunch. They ate it for lunch. Not your boy. Not your boy, right? We have a refrigerator to preserve food. My point being, back in those days, they didn't have a refrigerator. How did they keep their meat from, from spoiling? They salted it, right? And so father get goat. He cut up a goat. He put it on layers. And they pour salt all over it. And so the point is, salt helps preserve things from spoiling, okay? That was one of the major ways that they used it. Another way that they use it is probably common to how you use it. They put salt on things that are bland to what? To season it. It brings out flavor, right? Salt has this powerful effect on the things that it touches. You can look, yeah, and French fries. That's the third thing they used it for, right? The ancient Israelites love their French fries. Yes, that's non-biblical. Um, and so listen, you, you, so you look at meat, let's say in that day, right? You're a Jew, you're listening to Jesus, and he starts talking about salt, and you go, oh yeah. You could always tell the difference between a piece of meat that has salt and a piece of meat that doesn't. You can tell the difference between a piece of meat that has been preserved by salt and a piece of meat that has maggots crawling through it, right? You can tell, when you're eating, you can tell the difference between a piece of meat that has been seasoned and flavored with salt and a piece of meat that hasn't been impacted and touched by salt. And so here's the point, friends. Here's what we start seeing in this metaphor, that Jesus wants to touch and impact, not meat, not goat meat, not french fries. Jesus wants to touch and impact the world. And he's going to do it by using something kind of like salt, by using his people. Jesus wants to touch and impact the world by using something kind of like salt. And he looks at them and he says, you are salt. You're those salts, right? And you think about the metaphor and it's actually really appropriate. Because just like the meat we talked about, the world, I don't know if you noticed it, but the world's kind of spoiling, isn't it? 
I mean, let's, just, let's be real here, right? Let me not try to get dramatic, but let's be real. The world is spoiling. It's decaying. There, there's a sense of corruption in our world. And the remedy for this, the remedy for a spoiling world, Jesus says, is the active presence of his people on it. The remedy for a spoiling world, he's saying, is to put salt, to put people on the earth who can keep it from becoming completely spoiled and bad, who can counteract some of that spoiling with goodness, right? And good deeds, which we'll get about here in a, we'll get here in a minute. We're to, encounter, we're to counter the presence of corruption in the world. We're salt. Or think of it like this, not just for preserving it, but think about for, for seasoning, right? In a world, right? Our earth is, I, there's no better word, but it's bland. In a world that is lacking the, the presence and the influence of God, the very things that actually give life meaning, it's just, it's missing it. In a world that is bland and dull due to the tasteless repetition of sin and evil, Christ followers come like salt and they come and it's just like, it's like eating something and then you taste it with salt and you go, dude, that's so much better. That's what Christ followers are like as they come with a message of hope and acceptance and love and grace and, and God's sovereignty and his mercy. I remember when I was younger, my mom went on a diet, right? And for those of you who have parents who go on diets, you know it's not just your parents that are on a diet. You know what I'm saying? It's like, mom, remember when we used to eat three times a day? Yeah, I'm on a diet. <laughs> I kind of miss food. Yeah, I'm on a diet. And so when my mom went on a diet, the whole house went on a diet. And I remember, dude, this was the biggest like jokes on you kind of thing, right? Like the biggest hashtag, gotcha. I came home and... Uh, my mom, you know, did the whole announcing to the family that she's on a diet. And we're like, <laughs> great, I need to go get the cat food. And so, <sighs> let's start for another day. And so, and so she announces, though, she goes, no, but hey, listen, this time it's different. This time you're going to love it. You're so, I'm so excited. I know you will be too. But I just went to the, the class and the meeting, and they just told me some pretty good news. <laughs> and you guys are going to love it. I'm like, I'm sure we are. And she says, hey, they just told me, like they just discovered it scientifically, that popcorn is actually healthy for you. And we go. Shut up, right? No, what? And she goes, yeah, no joke. Popcorn is actually healthy for you. And we all were like, thank you, Jesus, for popcorn, right? How many people, come on, right? In here, thank you, Jesus, for popcorn. Yep, I see those greasy palms. I see you. I see you glistening in the lights, right? Thank you, Jesus, for popcorn. So we were like, dude, this is great news. We, yeah, popcorn is healthy. This is awesome. So my mom, she bust out the bag of popcorn, right? right? It's like, oh yeah. She busts out the popcorn. Popcorn is healthy. Go figure. She takes out that popcorn. Right? I don't know what that is, right? But she breaks it. She opens it up. She gives us our own bag of popcorn. We put our hands in there. We're like drooling at this point, right? We're like, you know, you can't like get the, the saliva because you're like, you're like salivating, Right? She's making popcorn, and we're eating this as a snack, and we're allowed to as much as we want. Popcorn is healthy, and we put our hands on the popcorn, and we just, like, you, how many people grab a piece of popcorn? How many people grab palmfuls of popcorn? You know what I'm saying? Yo, like, you, we, you'd think we'd learn our lesson, but you grab popcorn, and, like, inevitably, some of it falls out, and you think, I should grab a smaller handful. No. Just grab more, right? And you're like, ha, ha, and you never get it all in, because it it's not in the right shape. And so we do that and we like stuff it in our mouth and we realize something about this healthy popcorn. We realize something about 
the popcorn that we were so excited for, it was missing something very important. It was missing salt and butter, right? Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, kids, popcorn is super healthy. You just can't have any of the healthy stuff on it, the unhealthy stuff on it. I go, oh, you mean we can't have any of the good stuff on it, right? What's the point of popcorn if you can't have salt, right? And so we had this kind of popcorn, and and the, the point of the story is you could always tell when salt is missing. You can always tell when salt is missing. So imagine having that popcorn, right? Imagine you were one of those sheltered kids who didn't even know that popcorn was supposed to have butter and salt. Imagine you're that kid, and you go to the movie theaters for the first time. Woo! You go to the movie theaters, right? And they're like, hey, would you like some popcorn? And you're like, but we're at the movies. Do we have to be healthy? And you're like, you have no idea. Come with me, right? And you go to the counter, dude, and they get that popcorn. And they're like, what is all that golden goodness they're putting on it? And you're like, you'll see, right? And they're just like, and then the lady makes it snow. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, I'd rather not watch this because, like, it makes me uncomfortable to know what's in it. But she's like, how you doing today, miss? Right? She just douses it. And that kid gets their bag, right? The bucket, who's like bigger than its head, pulls it into the movie theater, sits down, grabs a handful of popcorn for the first time in their life, tastes popcorn the way it's meant to be in heaven. And they taste that popcorn and it's in their mouth. What's going through their head right now? Their head just exploded, right? They're like, they're like, what? I feel like somebody's been lying to me my whole life. And they taste popcorn, Movie theater popcorn, salted, and it's like an explosion in their mouth. It's a different, it's different, it's so different. You could always tell when salt is missing. You can always tell when salt is missing. And we see here in our text that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say the butter, okay? That's a different metaphor, maybe, I don't know, he doesn't say that ever. But he says, you're the salt of the earth. You can always tell when salt is missing. And so one of the ways that I've been thinking about this, one of the ways that I've been applying it to my own heart, and I want to pass on to you as I read this, the question that I've asked myself is this, what are the places that God needs me to be salt? Where has God placed you because he needs you to be some salt? Where are the healthy popcorn places in your life, right? Where are the parts of the world that are both decaying like the meat and also they're bland with a dull repetition of sin and evil. And it's just, it's tasteless because it's the same story over and over. Where has God placed you, Christian? Where has God placed you, follower of Jesus, that needs salt? I hear you guys talk about high school. I hear you guys talk about high school as if it's like the war field, right? Some of you guys come into my office and you talk about high school like you just came back from World War II. You're like, dude, ever since NOM, dude, I just haven't been the same. I mean, math class, math class. You know, I just, my teacher, man, explosive. Oh, man, I just, man, really missed one there. And it's like, I understand. Like, and it's not even just because of the schoolwork and you're trying to get it to homework, but there's something about high school culture that's just, can we call it bland? You know what I'm talking about? There's something about high school culture. Can we even just say, like, let's go beyond bland, like, Maybe you even look at your middle school or high school culture and the, the social scene. You could almost say it's, it's gross. You know what I'm saying? Does it need some salt? Does your high school need some salt? Is there, does a social scene need some salt? You can always tell when salt is missing, right? But here's what I wonder, students. Look at me. Eyes up here. Here's what I wonder. If that's your high school, if that's your middle school, if it's that bland and dull and just lacking in life, I wonder this. When students come in contact with a follower of Christ, 
When students meet you in your school and encounter you, do they, almost like that popcorn, do they, do they taste a difference? Is there almost like an explosion, a, a flavor, as they start to pick up vibes from you of, of love? As they start to almost feel like genuine concern and, and care and grace and kindness and all these things. As students in your school, you're saying it's bland, friends, but you could always tell when salt is missing, right? Do students in your, in your own high school and middle school, do they taste something different when they encounter you? When they encounter the followers of Jesus in their school or is it just more of the same? This is bland. Where has God placed you that needs some salt? I mean, some of you guys, you're the only Christian in your home. Maybe, your fam maybe God has placed you even in your family, maybe even in your home to be salt there. What about your neighborhoods? I was look, I, as I was writing this message, I was looking at my window in my office there and I'm looking around and I go, how many of these neighbors, I don't even know their name. And here I am hiding up in my little room on my laptop and I remembered and I reminded myself as I read this text, God, didn't, God doesn't want me to hide from the world. He wants me to impact the world. Where are the places that God has placed you to be salt, students? to be an explosion of flavor of something different. In a world that all they eat is sin and evil and hardship and all these things, where can you be a fresh taste of something different as you represent Jesus? Where is that? All right, I've, I've gone on long enough. Let's keep reading here. We got, we got a few more verses here I want you to look at. Look at the next part of this verse. But, so Jesus said, right? He goes, hey, you, hey, you in the back. You're the salt of the earth. Hey, you, you're the salt. He's talking to his followers, right? You are the salt of the earth, but, uh-oh. <laughs> Come on, Jesus, I like the salt part. What do you mean? No, no, he goes, but this is something very important. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Here's what he's saying here. Saltless salt is useless. Hi, I'll have some french fries with some saltless salt, please. <laughs> saltless salt is useless. Now, Sam, wait a minute. I'm no scientific expert here, but how can salt become saltless? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Listen, the way that they harnessed salt, right? The way that they got salt, they had to get it out of the ocean, right? And here's the problem. Sometimes, sometimes the salt their piles of salt would become so corrupted by debris and soil and other elements, right? Sometimes they would get so much junk in the salt that you could no longer distinguish the salt. You could no longer separate it and filter it. And so this hodgepodge of part salt and part soil and part debris, that was no longer good to put on your food. Goat still spoil, right? You couldn't use that for salt anymore. It was so contaminated by other things that the salt has now ceased to be salty. And so you know what they would do with it? It's kind of brilliant. Portland should learn from this. You know what they did with it? They took it outside, they threw it on the ground. And they said, well, we'll make some gravel. That's how they made gravel. Portland could learn from this, right? I fell the other day in Portland, went on some ice, and I got so mad, I was like, I'm sorry, I thought you wanted me to visit you, Portland. I'll learn my lesson. I won't come back, right? Put salt on the ground. Sorry, sidebar, right? So what would happen is the, the, the salt would become so contaminated, it was no longer good for anything. It was useless. And here's Jesus' point. He says, saltless salt is just as good as an impactless Christian. 
They're both useless. Saltless salt is just as good, just as useful as a Christian who doesn't have an impact on the people around them. One has stopped to be salty, one has stopped to be impactful, and they both have this in common. They're useless. It's useless. A salt-free salt has just as good an impact as an impact-free Christian. And so here's what I thought as we're, as we're looking at this part of the text here, right? If you're no longer distinguishable from the worldliness around you, just like the salt, if you're no longer distinguishable from the worldliness around you and the sin around you, then you're completely unable to make a difference. You can't make a difference if you're no different. That's how salt loses its saltiness. And so as we think about this part of the text, I want you to ask yourself, right? And, and this is between you and the Lord here. But are there areas of your life where maybe you've lost your saltiness? I don't know. Are there areas of your life where maybe you're, just, you're no longer distinguishable from the people around you, and so you've lost any ability to make an impact? Think about it tonight. If salt has lost its saltiness, what's the point? But Sam, you just, I mean, I, I know that we're kind of like salt in here, but like, even if we're not salty, at least we have a cool salt shaker, right? Yeah, right? I mean, look at this room, dude. We got a pretty cool salt shaker. Look at all the salt in here. I don't, I don't care if you're like not salty, but I mean, I mean, not that kind of salty. You know what I mean, right? But, but I mean, like, but look at, look at us. We hang out. We're cool. Like, this is awesome, right? I mean, look how big it is. There's so many pieces of salt in here. That doesn't matter. Right? And that's what happens a lot of time in, in Christian community. We can become so concerned and so obsessed with where we gather and what it looks like and how cool it is. But friends, I don't care what the salt shaker looks like. If the thing inside of it is not salty, it's useless. And so that's why this needs to be a community of students. As we learn to live for Jesus, this needs to be a community of students. This needs to be our house where the third mark is present. And it's that we're a culture-shaping community. This needs to be a place where we're not just concerned with how we look in here and the gathering and the room. We need to be a community that's more concerned with making an impact on the world around us, on shaping the culture in which God has placed us. And so that's why our third mark is this. We are a culture-shaping community. We're salt. You are salt. And that's what Jesus is saying here tonight. He didn't want you to hide from the world. He wanted you to impact your world. And then he goes on. Look at the next, the next part of the verse here. He switches the metaphor. He goes, maybe you're not getting me here tonight, students. That's Jesus. I can imagine Jesus being, no, you're not getting me. Let me try another one, right? He says, you are the light of the world. So the second thing we see here is that we impact our world as light. You impact your world as salt, and you impact your world as light. What does light do? What does light do? Think about it. What's the purpose of light? To see. To illuminate the darkness. If I turned off every light in this room right now, hit it. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. You're like, no, I'm scared of the dark, right? Y'all pee your pants. It's a mess. It's bad. I'll just, I'll explain it to you, right? If I turn off every light in this room right now and it's completely dark, and then I turn the lights back on, could you see the darkness like walk away? You're like, oh, sorry, we can't fit in here anymore. Darkness is immediately repelled by the light. Lightness, the light illuminates the darkness. And so Jesus says here, you're the light of the world. He's using a popular metaphor here. In the Bible, they talk about darkness and light, and it basically means this. Darkness is, is a metaphor for sin. It's a metaphor for evil. Darkness, put it this way, 
Darkness is a metaphor for things that you would rather stay in the dark, right? Darkness is a metaphor for things that it would actually probably be a little bit more comfortable if we just kept the lights off for this one. You know what I'm saying? That's darkness. And so Jesus says here, he goes, but you are the light. You are the thing that will repel the darkness. You are a presence that will help there be light. Because if things stay in the dark, friends, if the world is living in the dark and they stay in the dark, then the things that are filthy and, and the things that are evil, nobody sees those. We don't see them. And it's easy to just live with it in the dark. But when you turn the light on, a couple of things happen, right? As the world walks around in darkness, the presence of Jesus' followers being a light, it causes others to see, right? They don't know any better. If they're walking in darkness and they can't see, you turn on the light and, and it's like, uh, just again, in this room, if we were to turn on the light after darkness, or, or better yet, dark room, and I take out my phone, every single person's eyes in this room, you can't even control it. Your eyes would automatically, it's a brain stimulant, right? You would go, Voop, and you look at the light. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's, that's why like when you're in a movie theater and like you're watching the screen and all of a sudden like, the wise guy, Joe over here, like takes out his phone. You always notice it, right? You always look at it. Your eyes are automatically attracted to the light to help you see. It's the way we're wired. And so in the same way, in a world that is stumbling in the darkness and groping and not knowing what is up and what is down and what is right and what is left, Jesus says, your presence, as you're doing your good deeds, as you're representing me, it's like the light coming on and people can't help but look at it and they can't help but notice. And they're seeing, whoa, that's different. You start to help them to see the real state of things, right? As you start living your life for Jesus and you're shining your light in your deeds, you're helping them understand the condition of their own life. And they look at their room and they go, oh, dude, I've been living in the darkness, but that's different. I didn't even realize that what I'm doing isn't even living. Because as we live, we're showing them that only life with God is really worth living. And so Jesus says that we're light in a dark world. And then look what he says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We want to be a community, students, that, that are, we're impacting the world around us, right? We're impacting the world around us, not just passing through the world, not hiding from the world, but impacting the world. We want to impact our schools. We want to impact our communities. We want to impact our neighborhoods. But there's a point. There's a point. Right now, especially if you're in college here, you know what I'm talking about, but maybe upper high schoolers, there's a movement right now in society especially in Portland. Portland's like on the front edge of this, but there's a movement right now in society called social justice, right? You guys have heard of it, right? It's very popular. I mean, social justice is at the forefront of our social consciousness. Everybody wants to do good and help people. And people have different reasons for doing that, right? I mean, like, there's some people that I know, I have friends, right, from high school, and they want to do good, and they want to pay it forward, and they want to help the homeless, and they're doing it out of a desire to almost pay back for every wrong thing they've ever done. You know what I'm talking about? Like, man, I've done like 20 bad things, but if I do 21 good things, dude, I'm solid, right? I like punched 15 dudes in the mouth, but if I feed 
16 homeless mouths, then I'm good, right? See, I made up for it. And so some people, they're doing social justice out of this desire to almost pay it back. There's some people that do it to make themselves feel better. There's some people that are wanting to help people and do good in the world because it's all really about their image. You know what I'm talking about? Man, if I do this, like if I go and help this homeless dude and give him a sandwich and I post it on Instagram, oh man, dude, my followers are gonna love that, right? You can get a few comments, a few reposts. People do it. People do it so that, so that they can get a good image, and sure, I, I do think there are people that genuinely do it because they love people and they want to make a difference. But here's what our text shows us. From making our image better, to, to paying it back, to feeling better about ourselves, to even loving people, all of those are not why we're called to be salt and light. None of those are our reasons for wanting to go and make a difference in our world. We're not trying to be a community of students that impacts our culture because it's the cool thing to do and because volunteerism is so hip right now. The reason why, the goal of our impact, the reason why we're motivated to change the people around us, we impact our world for a specific goal. And here's what the goal is. Look at the text again. Let your light shine so that, everybody say so that, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> Ultimately, we're doing good because we want people to see the glory of God. Ultimately, students, ultimately, you can go into your high schools and make a difference. You can go into your middle schools and make a difference. Not so that people think you're the man. Not so that people think you're the woe man. Not so that people think you're so kind. Not so that people can go and look at you and go, man, I'll follow him on Instagram. Ultimately, you are called by, Je by Jesus as his followers to impact the culture around you because our goal is to cause people to see the goodness of God. That's our motivation. We love the community around us because ultimately we want to reflect the love of God. You realize that? Oh man, I'm so loving. Dude, I'm the man. No, I want people to see the love of God who gave ultimately more than just his time. He gave his life. Jesus gave more than volunteer hours, friends. He died on a cross. We're called to be kind to the people around us. Not so that people think we're the most kind people in the world. You're called to be kind so that people ultimately see the kindness of a God who's even kind to his enemies. The kindness of a Lord who was dying on a cross and simultaneously prayed for the people who crucified him. <clears throat> we want the world to see the kindness of Christ. We want our light ultimately, right? Our good deeds, our light that we're casting ultimately is called, or is ultimately being carried out to reflect God, who is the light, right? We saw last year, 1 John, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Ultimately, we love people. Ultimately, you're called to seek the welfare and impact, the welfare of people around you and impact the world around you, not to, pro not to promote your image, but to reflect the God who made you in his image. Students, the aim of our impact is very specific. It's to point people to God. It's to point people to Jesus Christ. It's about causing people to see 
we talk about we're being salt. We're not being isolated. We're causing people to see the God who didn't stay isolated in heaven, but he came down to impact the world by dying for them. All of our salt, all of our light, all of your cultural impact, all of your kindness, all of your love, students, everything that you do as a community and as an individual is ultimately drawing attention to God and to his Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the third mark of our house, students, we're a kingdom-declaring community, we're a heart-transforming community, and number three, we are a culture-shaping community. As the band comes up to respond, I'm going to pray for you guys, and, and here's how I want you to think about this, okay? I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I just a Christian who hides in the salt shaker? Am I just a Christian who likes to go to youth group? Am I just a Christian who likes to gather with other Christians? Or am I actually making a difference in the world around me? Are people in my school, are people in my homeroom, are people in my third period math class, do they taste something different when they interact with me? Do, am I reflecting the kindness and love and mercy of Jesus Christ? Because I follow him. We're called to be a culture-shaping community. 